0: Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.
1: Is audio going? There we go. Are we being live streamed? Are we, are we recording?
0: I believe so. We are. Right. Take uh, it away, Sluggo. Okay,
1: Steve, where all systems go. Hey everybody, this is Harvey Stilgo Wasserman uh, back with the Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition call. This is number 131. Um, uh, We have a very, very packed agenda today, including a discussion (laughs) of uh, probably the single most important thing that has happened in the 21st century so far. If anybody wants to guess at it, um, um, I'm gonna come back to it and you can you can see if you got it, but I'm, I am not kidding. Uh, what happened uh, within the past 10 days is, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the game changer for the 21st century. Um, we have unfortunately today a mass shooting in Nashville. It is the first one in recent memory that uh, has been done by a woman, according to the news. She had two uh, semi-automatic weapons there and killed at least three children, at least three teachers to the Christian School in Nashville, another horrible event. Thank God uh, that we don't have gun control, right? Um, uh, We have Brent Tannehill going to talk us briefly about um, uh, the um, disenfranchisement of of trans people. Um, We have an interesting story about the National Hockey League um, and uh, and gay rights, something we wouldn't expect. Uh, Then we're going to go into the Uh, The number one issue uh, this week, which is the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, um, which is heated up. And um, in many cases, we're hearing a lot of very interesting things about it. Um, uh, uh, We also I don't know. Is Judith Whitmer with us yet? We're going to talk about the um, uh, uh, the the, the disenfranchised. Thronman, I guess, uh, 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 the defenestration. Uh, Anybody wants to tell me what defenestration is of the progressive leadership of the Nevada Democratic Party? Um, uh, uh, We're going to get into censorship nationwide, uh, which is really running uh, full speed ahead and uh, in a very, very bad way, a very dangerous way. And um, uh, uh, we're we're also going to talk about the radioactive leak at the Monticello nuclear plant in, uh, in uh, Minnesota. And I will say, uh, it, I have been to Monticello in, uh, in Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's uh, ancestral home, and it is Monticello. Uh, that Monticello means small hill, uh, but they're having a radioactive leak there and it, it is not cool and something we really need to deal with. So uh, welcome Dennis Bernstein, the uh, host of the Flashpoint show nationally syndicated KPFA. Glad to have you with us, Dennis, and thank you for having me on on last Friday. Let's start now, with, um, um, in the second hour, we also have a group. Uh, Wendy, what is the name of the group that's gonna be joining us in the second hour?
2: Um, Living Earth Movement. The Living um, Earth Dave. Movement, right. I'll drop and,
1: a link. Uh, they will be talking about their environmental work. So as always, we have a ton uh, let's start at the top now. <clears throat> has anybody uh, want to guess uh, what is the most important thing that has happened so far in the 21st century that happened uh, within the last 10 days, and which is going to change everything in world history? Anybody want to guess at that? Uh, uh, Tatanka, you might have uh, an idea. Okay, it's it's the meeting of of uh, the prime minister or the leader of China with the leader of Russia. In Moscow, this is uh, uh, earth-shaking uh, in every way, shape, or form. Um, you might want to think to yourself: uh, you know, after a century or more of American domination of world politics, um, uh, in 2023, who is more, which is more powerful? The alliance of the United States and Canada, or the alliance of China, Russia, India, Iran. And many countries in Africa. Which is more, which is more powerful? The bottom line is that the 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 joint meeting of uh, the leaders of China and Russia, which has not happened in this kind of mode before, and is happening in the middle of the um, of the war in Ukraine, which is just fraught with all sorts of uh, complications that we don't need to discuss right now. But the bottom line is that Russia and China, since Since they had two kindred leaders, which uh, was many, many years ago, which is Stalin and Mao. Stalin and Mao got along very well. But Stalin and um, rather, after Stalin died, Mao thought Khrushchev was a clown and had no respect for Russia. And for all these years, China, which has, of course, been uh, growing by leaps and bounds in all ways, shape and form, uh, is now... Reaching out to Russia in a way <clears throat> that really uh, ordains that this will not be the Amer- a second American century. If you if you put China, India, Russia, Iran, and the other major countries of Eurasia, and add them in with uh, Africa, you you can tell very very clearly that the United States is headed for uh, a, a second-rate power, and um, uh, the population of China is about one and a half billion. The population of India actually has exceeded now the population of China. And uh, Russia um, is not that big in population, but obviously geographically it's gargantuan. The the guy to read about this is Alfred McCoy. And I'd like to have him on sometime. Alfred McCoy is a professor of history at the University of Wisconsin, following the great footsteps of William Appleman Williams who um, wrote The Contours of American History um, uh, and um, The Tragedy of American Diplomacy and was really one of the great um, uh, scholars of our time. Alfred McCoy wrote a book in the 1960s that changed everything in terms of our perceptions of the war in Vietnam. It was called The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia. And Alfred McCoy laid out how the drug trade was shaping the Vietnam War. It was an incredibly important book, really opened people's eyes. And he is now writing about what they call the pivot, which is the peace um, in between Europe, Asia, and Africa, which uh, will will, um, define who dominates the world going forward. And while we, the United States, has been fighting imperial war after imperial war, Ten years in Vietnam, twenty years in Afghanistan and Iraq, and completely draining our treasury, uh, letting our our infrastructure uh, go to pot, as it were, um, uh, and and doing all the things that empires do in their decline. Um, the Chinese have spent a fraction uh, of what what we've been spending on mil- on the military, and have had a belt, what's called a Belt and Road um, uh, project where they are basically building the infrastructure that will link Europe and Asia and Africa. And um, you know, the United, States, th- this is why this moment, especially happening in the middle of the, U- of the war in Ukraine, is so absolutely critical to the future of the world. So uh, I just want to put that out there. It is not uh, generally in our wheelhouse in terms of what we discussed, but it is uh, uh, something of, of uh, uh, huge importance to all of us going forward uh, for the next uh, well, 50 or 100 years, because this represents the, the rise to power of China. The separate, the and the other thing, and the very important thing that people need to understand that they did agree on, is that China and Russia and probably India will join in, which is about half the population of the world, uh, they are gonna get off the dollar. Uh, The dollar has been the defining currency of of world trade uh, for the last hundred years. And uh, literally since the 1890s, 1900s, when the the U.S. started to become a dominant power and the dollar was used for global trade, uh, that's gonna change. And uh, it's the Chinese Yuan, uh, yuan, that is now gonna dominate. And uh, I will say that those of you who are looking for an explanation for the war in Iraq and for the the destruction of um, um, Gaddafi in Libya, it was much of it was about currency. Because um, uh, Saddam, who had um, uh, all the resources he needed, and um, Gaddafi both wanted to leave the petrodollar. Uh, Saddam was talking about trading his, his oil in euros, and they killed him for it, basically. And then uh, Gaddafi had about 130 tons of gold just uh, in his basement somewhere, 130 tons of gold, and he was gonna launch a new African currency, the dinar. And if there's one thing that gives a country dominance in the world, it's having the dominant currency. And the United States, after this meeting between uh, the Chinese and the Russians, that's over people. And we're going to have to start a uh, 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 really seriously reevaluating. We've, we had an American century, which we squandered in the killing fields of Southeast Asia and Southwest Asia and the Middle East. And, um, uh, this is a tipping point, and it happened last week around the the the, the uh, vernal equinox in 2023. So you may want to remember this uh, as the United States uh, uh, rides off into the Asian sunset. Uh, Tatanka, do you want to add anything to that?
3: Yeah, I'll just add that uh, it was not just Iran and Iraq. It was North Korea, and they were all three uh, demonized right after that. This the, the the event that you're talking about, Harvey, is a tipping point. It has been out in the open. It's been in play for decades and decades. And um, I mean, I learned I've, some people i have told the story here. I learned from a somebody who was working at Stanford Research Institute almost fifty years ago, who was telling me that sometime around 2020, uh, the United States will be at war with whoever the president of Russia is, and the whole goal was to isolate. China, right? And after Russia had spun off its ethnic provinces to kind of push it into the European sphere. And so, I mean, if I knew that, I'm sure everybody's intelligence in the world knew it. And we've been watching this build slowly for decades and decades, what's what's now coming together as you describe it. So it's not a surprise. I, I doubt that it's a surprise for the CIA, but who knows? I mean, did they really you know, think that supporting Chiang Kai-shek and Mao was just a nobody. I mean, we could be repeating that part of history too.
1: Yes. So at any rate, um, we're going to leave that behind and you're 100% right, Tatanka. This is a, you know, I've been watching for the last um, a week. Uh, my daughter is laid up with a, a bum leg and we, we watched, and I highly recommend this for your educational, uh, your understanding of what's happened to this country's economy which really took the big dive, uh, the big short as it were, in um, uh, 2008, um, that uh, we watched, first of all, we watched a four part series on Bernie Madoff, which is astounding that he could have done what he did. And then uh, we, uh, uh, we watched a movie called The Big Short, which is an absolute masterpiece. I've actually seen it five times. Uh, you you really need to watch this movie to understand what is happening to the American economy. Uh, the big short, Steve Carell is in it. Um, um, Christian Bale. It's extremely well done. And uh, yeah, he made off with everyone's retirement. And Bernie Madoff was just uh, a sociopath. It's hard to believe he did what he did. Uh, and followed by um, a movie called Margin Call with Kevin Spacey. And then at the end, we watched sort of a docudrama. It wasn't very good, actually, in terms of quality, but it told the story of how Shearson Lehman uh, went down the tubes. And um, uh, these these, uh, these cinematic um, uh, pieces really uh, explained as a whole where the economy went in 2008. And Obama had the chance to come in and really uh, restructure the banking system and uh, moved some resources to the people who had lost their homes and their their jobs and their cars and their health insurance. And well, he did provide health insurance in part. uh, And uh, really uh, a lot was explained um, uh, in these movies that no no one went to jail except one guy. They found one guy, an obscure number cruncher to send to jail for the trillions of dollars that were lost in the 2008 crash. And uh, really, if if you have to see one movie uh, to understand where we're at economically in this country, it would be the big short. And I I strongly recommend it. We will not have a quiz next week, but uh, please everybody pay attention and pay attention now to what's happening in Ukraine and the, um, the maneuvering between the Chinese and the Russians. And uh, very important to watch where India, uh, Iran, Brazil and other countries come down, big countries with big economic stakes in the global economy come down on this because this is a turning point in American power and uh, it cannot be overstated. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you uh, for letting me go on about that. Uh, We wanna get to the first item on the agenda, uh, which is the most important race uh, going on in the country now. And then, Brim, will get to you on uh, LGBTQ issues and um, trans issues and uh, Florida with Wendy uh, uh, Liedermann also. Um, um, I want to talk about the Wisconsin race. It is coming on April 4th, uh, a week from tomorrow, actually. Is that correct? Um, And uh, I have been getting, finally, starting to get some email solicitations, and maybe some of you have, from the Democrats about this race. I've been getting solicitations from, as I mentioned last week, and I'm sure you are too, from um, uh, candidates who are running next fall in Wisconsin. It's outrageous. And And we have this incredibly important race going on right now in Wisconsin. Uh, the, the Wisconsin Supreme Court was four to three for a dozen years, dominated by extreme right wingers who uh, put in, uh, you know, um, uh, gerrymandering uh, on the brink of banning abortion. Um, uh, and this is my piece on Counterpunch. I uh, Thank you, Steve, for putting it up there. And thank you, Counterpunch, for running it. This is the Wisconsin Supreme Court here. People generally don't pay attention. The state supreme court races, but this one could uh, be- actually decide the uh, presidential election next year because voting rights are absolutely at issue in front of this court. And if they prevent people of color again from voting in Wisconsin, voted Wisconsin went for Trump in 2016 and then for Biden in 2020 only because of grassroots organizing. Uh, then we lost the Senate; See, the Democrats lost the Senate seat. Um, In 22, uh, Mandela Barnes, a progressive uh, African-American candidate, should never have lost to this horrific MAGA guy, Ron Johnson. But the Republicans bragged, and it's in my article, there's a direct quote, and we are an election protection focus here, a direct quote from a Republican operative in, in Milwaukee bragging, bragging about the thousands of people that he personally prevented from voting in Wisconsin. And that, that decided this critical US Senate race uh, in Wisconsin with this horrible uh, MAGA Republican uh, de- defeating um, this good progressive candidate should never have happened. And simultaneously, the, the Democratic uh, governor was reelected. So th- this, uh, as we've talked about previously, this um, a Supreme Court race in in Wisconsin is uh, extremely important the most important race of the year could actually decide the presidential race next year we are uh, emphasizing the, the get out to vote aspect of this the center for common ground which is centerforcommonground.org if you go on that website you can uh, you're confronted with a screen and they tell you how and uh, to make direct calls into the state and i did that in georgia 20 20- 22. It was actually very interesting, a lot of fun, um, and um, people need to do it in the next week, uh, in, because um, uh, people who have been canvassing there say that very very few people know that this race is even happening. I mean, who pays attention to Supreme Court, state Supreme Court races? So the big uh, important thing is to raise awareness. There are people who are going to be driving uh, voters to the polls. In, in, uh, in Wisconsin, and that could make all the difference. It's expected to be a very close race. Uh, the woman who's uh, running on the liberal side, it's officially a nonpartisan race, um, is called Judge Judy. I can't pronounce her last name. I keep wanting to call her Kumpo, but she does not play center for the Milwaukee Bucks. So, um, uh, and uh, I urge everyone go to centerforcommonground.org and um, uh, make the phone calls if you can't do that. There's a group in Wisconsin called Souls to the Polls. They're, uh, they're and they, we had them on their, their um, website is soulstothepollswi.org. Uh, Steve, if you can, I think you can put that in the chat, maybe uh, uh, that's helpful as well. Does anyone want to say anything about this Supreme Court race in Wisconsin? Ruth Strauss, please. Ruth, uh, unmute
4: you here. I actually got Harvey is Judge Janet, not Judge Judy. Oh, Judge
1: Janet, yes. And uh, uh, her last name,
4: her last
2: name, I think maybe Polish or something like that. It's or something like that. Yes, Uh, it's it's a long Polish name. Uh, so thank you. And yes, uh, they uh, Common Ground will make it very easy for you to do phone banking and they have webinars to do it. And the other thing I wanted to add real quickly, Harvey, is there's also a movie that's hysterically funny but extremely informative. And the Academy finally did something good. They gave it the Academy Award in 2010. Uh, it's called Inside Job. And it explains all that crazy stuff about credit default swaps, and and not only Lehman Brothers but all the other banks that went down. Uh, so it's and started in Iceland. Anyway, it's very good. Also, but thanks for your movie reviews. Yes,
1: well that one and there's also one about Enron called Smartest Guys in the Room. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, uh, I gotta say, anybody on this call, if you have not seen The Big Short, you need to see The Big Short. It is the best movie I've ever seen about Wall Street. And uh, and and what happened? Certainly about what happened in two thousand eight. Extremely complicated stuff made uh, very easy and actually enjoyable to understand. A uh, 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 Dennis Bernstein and then Lynn Dennis uh, from KPFA. Uh, glad to have you on board. Um uh, Muted.
5: I'm here. Let's see.
1: Yes, you're good. Go ahead.
5: Okay. Uh, so I just wanted to the you left this like a cliffhanger. You were talking about the banks in the beginning and you sort of got to the point where why didn't Obama do anything about it? Because he didn't do anything about it because the person who got him elected, Penny Pritzker, was a banking criminal from a family of criminals that go way back offshore bank Betty. Betty Pritzker was Obama's um, finance chairman, chairwoman. And Pritzker actually, just before she took that job, crashed a bank in Chicago, Superior Bank. She crashed it. It cost taxpayers uh, almost a billion dollars. And 1,400 uh, people with savings accounts lost their money. Then she took a job working for Obama. And everybody wondered, how could Obama raise more than Clinton? How could she, how could he outdo the Clintons? Paul Penny Pritzker, who had, you know, the banking bandits for decades. You want to know all about offshore storage of money and illegal operations? See the Pritzkers. Whatever direct, whatever is terrible about banking, the Pritzkers did it first. And set the tone. That's why Barack Obama got elected president. <laughs> I don't know. What's right. going on here? You get it though? This is this is everybody wondered what's gonna happen. Here comes Penny. Don't worry, everything's safe. And all right. the all the go-go banking, she was in the middle of it. The Pritzkers set the tone, and it's unbelievable. It was never a
0: story, never a Dennis? story. Yeah. Dennis, that, it sounds like she's uh, penny-wise and dollar-foolish. Yeah. So, so is anybody who works with he also, her. She's exactly. also very
1: pro-nuclear, like, by the way. They, that family has supported the the so-called nuclear renaissance with the oh, nice. They're, they're behind the uh, Breakthrough Institute and that that guy um, 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 uh, Scheisskopf. Uh, whatever his name is, who runs around? <laughs> I don't think nuclear.
0: that's his real name, but it, that might be a good epith- yeah. uh, Lynn, epithet for him. Dennis, but thank you for that.
1: The, and the, if, you want to see, if you want to see how a bank jumped out from under uh, what you're describing, see Margin Call with uh, with uh, Kevin Spacey. That that yeah. shows you how a bank who knew they were just had garbage assets dumped all their assets just ahead of the tsunami that wiped everybody out. We got 50 people with us. I uh, um uh, Lynn Heide- Thank you, Dennis. Lynn Heidekopper.
4: Uh one thing, uh Penny Pritzker was I think she was CEO of Hyatt Hotels, isn't it? Wasn't she? And she is anti-labor, so I uh would demonstrated outside a Hyatt Hotel um where she denied them unionization. She finally caved in, but only like the Boston Hyatt, it, it, not every Hyatt was able to have labor. Anyway, the reason I'm calling is I put in the chat. I mistakenly put Janet, Ju- I mean, Judge Judy. <laughs> I watched yes, too much yes, that's TV. That's why I got it. <laughs> too much TV. Um, <laughs> Protus Saywoods. I've been phone banking for her. And actually, it looks pretty good. I've gotten a lot of uh, people who are going to vote for her.
1: Yes, they say the polls show her ahead. She's running against a total abomination. Uh, another Ron Johnson MAGA guy. This guy's name, I, I believe, is Kelly. Uh He was on the Supreme Court before. he's anti-choice, anti-democracy, the whole deal. And uh, if the liberals get a hold, Dan Kelly, thank you, Carl. Um, if the liberals get a hold of uh, the Supreme Court, we may reverse gerrymandering. I mean, the numbers in the Wisconsin legislature are are are, 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 are nauseating. Wisconsin is pretty well 50 50, uh, maybe slightly more democratic. And the, the Republicans have super majorities in both houses of the Wisconsin legislature only because of uh, gerrymandering. It's this. It's unreal. So uh, please do uh, t- pay attention to this. Uh, uh, we have one week to go uh, on this. Uh, I, I, I got a I got an email today from Cory Booker. This is the first Democratic Party um, email I've gotten supporting the Supreme Court race and Cory Booker, there is, I st- I'm reading the name. I still don't dare pronounce it. Protasiewicz. Maybe that's it. Protasiewicz. Um, uh, uh, if you can say Antetokounmpo, you can say Protasiewicz. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the email I got from Cory Booker asks to split the money. <laughs> I've never seen this. He says He says, back the Supreme Court race. And by the way, give me half the money uh, that that you're, you're you know match the grant you give her with with money from me, it's outrageous. Anyway, um, uh, uh, Jeffrey, very quickly, and this will be your uh, one question for the time, and then we'll go go forward. Jeffrey Barker, really quickly, please. One thing,
3: uh, I wanted to comment on what, what Dennis Bernstein said. Very good. He go can, ahead. What uh, is it? Yes. Did you know how how FDR got elect got elected? <laughs> it was through the corporates.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Uh, That's a little bit off topic, but thanks, Jeffrey. Thank you, Um, you, Jeffrey. Okay, But we we are going to look at how people get elected and unelected and how dark money and corporate money has been swamping primaries and even Democratic Party elections now in in the States. And Slug, I just wanted to let you know Judith Whitmer is here. Judith is here,
1: and um, Bryn, I hope you can stay with us. We're going to talk about the Nevada Democratic Party Unseating the progressives, and then we're going to go to Florida uh, with the LGBTQ issues. Bryn, you'll be part of that discussion, and also the laundry list of uh, uh, of what uh, Ron DeSantis has in store for us. Um, uh, uh, and um, I have a marketing idea. I think we should uh, start marketing uh, T-shirts, pink T-shirts with a triangle uh, for Florida, and we can talk about that in a bit. Um, uh, Judith Whitner, you've been on with us before, Whitmer. You've been on with us before. When you were on with us before, you were head of the Democratic Party of Nevada, and I understand that is no longer true. Can you tell us what happened in Nevada with you and the Democratic Party, please?
4: Sure, thanks. Um, And thank you for having me on today. Um, Basically, um, my stand against dark money and Democratic primaries um, made me a target for establishment for corporate stems as well um, I introduced that resolution twice to the DNC. The first time they refused to take a vote and the second time they refused to, um, th- nobody stepped forward to actually present a motion to um, take a vote. So effectively it was blocked twice by the DNC um, resolutions committee. Uh, and it, it, it's part of the whole system as far as the corruption goes and as far as, as how toxic the political system has become at the DNC. Um, where you know the, it's stacked, the membership is stacked with lobbyists and, and corporate consultants that basically run all of these committees and decide what's get, what gets through and what doesn't get through. Um, but regardless of that, um, we had a successful election here in Nevada. 2022 was a good year for, for Nevadans. We reelected Senator Cortez Masto. We effectively held the Senate um, at, uh, for U.S. Congress. We held the Senate. Um, so, and we elected a majority of our state legislature. Uh, so we had a really good election, really good year, and the, the Democratic Party was extremely successful. Um, our administration did a lot of new things, a lot of great things, including reelecting all those people. Um, and we had a great fundraising year. We had to do all of our own fundraising because the DNC, the DS, and the DTRIP um, gave all of the funding to our competing organization, which was Nevada Democratic Victory, which, as some of you may recall, was a shadow organization that set up shop shortly after my um, election um, as the as the chair of the Democratic Party of Nevada. Um, they set up shop as a separate organization to run the coordinated campaign for Senator Cortez Masto. Um, but it was still up to our Democratic Party to elect all of our Democrats up and down the ballot. And we did a great job of that. Um, We had a successful turnout. We increased rural turnout. We worked with our rural county parties and coalition to turn out the vote across Nevada, not just in Clark and Washoe counties, but across the state of Nevada, which has been unheard of in previous years. Um, So we implemented a lot of new outreach programs we implemented a lot of support for our down ballot races, because as most of you know, extremist agendas start at the down ballot level. They start in, you know, in state legislative houses, they start in, in judicial seats and state, in state offices, and they bubble up from there to the Supreme Court. So we felt that it was our responsibility to take a hard look at how we could help down ballot races as well. And we did that successfully. We had some really significant wins in our judicial races, as well as our state legislative races and numerous other races, like school board races, that are also important in our communities because those down ballot races have an enormous impact on our daily lives. So we took those things very seriously. We enacted um, programs, outreach programs, down ballot campaigns. Um, we enacted legislative um, initiatives. Um, we did uh, legislative roundtables to involve the community. And keep them participating in non-election years, um, and we had a lot of a lot of great successes. Unfortunately, that's not really what the Democratic Party wants, um, and that I mean they may say so. Chair Harrison over and over again would lecture us during DNC meetings about how important down ballot races are, but when the reality um, when the, the reality is that they really do not care about state races or down ballot races. They want to hoard all the money and and control all of the races um, at the top levels. And uh, it's really all about the top of the ticket. Um, And also in the past, one of the things that we had promised was that we would level the playing field for progressive candidates and for candidates of color and for um, our rural down ballot candidates. And we did that successfully as well. And that's another thing that the corporatists did not like and the consulting class did not like because um, it, it, it made it impossible for them to control those elections. Just like you're seeing as, as far as dark money and in these uh, primary races where the candidate that should win isn't winning because of all this dark money. Um, this is what it's about, it's about control. They want the candidates that support the status quo and that support the consulting class to win. Um, and so when it came time for the state party elections, um, they actually used a pack against us. Um, this is how absurd it is because my office is volunteer, like the democratic state party chair in Nevada is a volunteer office. Um, I did not get paid for all the work that I did and all the, all the energy and time I, and effort I put into that job and all the travel I put into it. Um, it, it ultimately, is not what they are looking for, it's not what they want. They don't want to expand the Democratic Party. They don't want everyone to have the chance to participate. They do not want everyone's voice to be heard. It's only the people they want to hear from that they want to be part of the process. It's only the people that will fall in line and take orders and not ask questions that they want to be part of the process. And they want to control every single election, um, even at the primary level, because They don't want progressives to win office. They absolutely do not want progressives to be represented at the upper levels. Um, And they want to control all the money. And by taking over the state party again, that gives them the opportunity to funnel millions in dark money uh, through the state party to these consultants and to the campaigns of, of the top of the ticket. So regardless of the fact that they had tons of money, we didn't interfere with any of that, they were still able to run their coordinated campaign separate from the state party. They were still able to get all the funding um, and everything else. And despite the fact that we reelected Senator Cortez Masto and reelected all our entire state legislature, um, they still decided that 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 we were too much of an obstruction uh, for what they ultimately saw as their goal, which was to absolutely control every single facet of the state party, all the money, um, and you know by doing that then the same consultants have control, the same consultants add to their funds, um, the same consultants make millions and millions of dollars off of every campaign. And no, no, nobody from the community or from grassroots organizing is gonna have an opportunity to win these races as long as they have that kind of control because they have unlimited dark money, they have, um, they have no remorse in using that dark money against primary candidates in the Democratic primary. So it's one of those battles that we're going to have to keep fighting. Um, The fact that they used the Sapphire Pack to run a campaign against me and my slate um, should tell you all that you need to know that Sapphire Pack takes donations from Pfizer, from Southwest Gas, from Nevada Energy. And that same Sapphire Pack was owned, uh, was established by my opponent, uh, Assemblywoman Danielle Monroe Marino. And that PAC also donated to all of the state legislators there in the Nevada State Legislature. So you know they're they're maintaining absolute control by putting one of their own again at the top. Um, and you know the consultants have regained control of the state party, and all the all the work that we did to build a permanent infrastructure to run down ballot effective down ballot statewide campaigns, our outreach programs, all of that has already been been. Demolished, dismantled. They dismantled our whole infrastructure. Um, we had a year-round, successful, year-round, year-round operating um, infrastructure with permanent staff. They laid off our entire unionized staff uh, because they're trying to avoid having unionized staff. They don't want to pay union union uh, dues or or union wages. Um, so they've they've effectively completely demolished everything that we built over the past two years, and that wow. is for that is. Absolutely. Just for the goal and enrichment of our consultants.
1: Uh, Judith, our, our, our sympathies are with you. This must be really hard for you. Um, uh, we loved having you back before. And we know I, I read something similar. I don't know if there's anybody on from New York, but I, I think a similar purge went on in New York. And of course the New York democratic party completely blew control of Congress at um, this time. And, you know, it's, and this is what's going on in Wisconsin as well. There was a Supreme Court race in Wisconsin a few years ago where the Democrats just you know, blew, it, blew the whole thing off. And so uh, I fear for the future um, when, the, when the, the real people are purged from, from the party. It's a nightmare. So we're, we're with you. And, and um, what you've just said is incredibly important. And it's at the root. This is why we're a nonpartisan group This is at the root of the kind of campaigning we uh, push and um, one of the great gurus, and this is John Steiner. Uh, John, uh, did you wanna speak to this? And also, I just wanna take this moment to point out later this evening, there's a major uh, Zoom with our revolution. They're gonna be talking about issues like this. And John, you also have another Zoom coming up. You may wanna tell people about that as well. So John Steiner, please.
6: Uh, Judith, I just wanted to add of real commiseration and sadness much less anger and rage to what you've just shared with us which we know is going on all over the country and progress and the democrat party challenging any progressive running in a primary at the same time Mm -hmm. so my question is what do you do next (laughs) Uh, uh, other than kind of spreading the word and and speaking truth to to power
4: Well, I will continue speaking truth to power, but I also am looking at several other options, Um, continuing to do grassroots organizing as always, Um, and we'll continue to fight the dark money, especially in our Democratic primaries. I mean, that's some place where we should really take a stand because the Democratic Party platform even calls for that, but they refuse to actually pass anything to enact it or enforce it or have consequences for any of those who don't abide by those rules. So it's it's really just paying lip service. And I think that, that the Democrats have got to prove that we're willing to do more than lip service.
3: Uh, and,
4: and that's why nonpartisan numbers are growing. I mean, we're seeing tremendous growth in nonpartisan registration, but yet the Democratic party keeps looking the other way like, oh, you know, they're just a bunch of extremists. They don't count. Um, they're still trying to play to that moderate Republican uh, that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but I think that, that they're gonna have a rude awakening coming in the next coming years as more and more nonpartisans realize that they do have power um, and they start to vote as blocks and they start to organize among themselves the way you know, grassroots organizers have. I think that we'll start to see some more of that too because just because you're nonpartisan doesn't mean you're not interested. And who's running for office or that you don't have somebody that you would like to see run for office so that you would support if they were running for office. So there's a lot of energy out there yet to harness.
6: And Judith, are you connecting with other folks like you who have been similarly exiled, as it were? Harvey mentions New York. We know part of what's going on in Florida. Is there an emerging national network of those of you who have been leaders on the progressive side to kind of amplify your efforts and make them better known?
4: Yes, there, there, there is that conversation going on. There is that communication. And we're going to be expanding on that in the next in the next coming weeks. So there are definitely well, keep, uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. Keep,
6: keep us posted. There needs to be a Thanks. national. Go ahead, John. That's, keep us posted. Thank you. Thank uh, John, you. what is
1: your uh, Zoom coming up later in the week? You have a Zoom call that you... Uh,
6: we don't. We can pass on that one now. It's, okay. So <laughs>
1: it's, I think there needs to be, a, a, of course, a national organization of people like you who have uh, run state parties. Uh, we, we had these issues, especially, as I mentioned, uh, three U.S. Senate seats definitely turned on the Democrats' unwillingness to do grassroots organizing, which was in, in, uh, in Ohio, where they could have won uh, if, uh, uh, with a relatively progressive candidate, pro-nuclear, but what, what can I tell you? In North Carolina, uh, where uh, uh, Beasley should have won, absolutely and uh, and in Wisconsin, where Mandela Barnes should have won absolutely losing yeah. by I think 30,000 votes. Thankfully you were in place and and you weren't expected. the Senate was not expected to be be held and that seat was held in probably because of your efforts and then of course, <laughs> they got rid of you. So um, here we uh-huh. are. This is endemic. It's also in Florida, of course, where they've just put in basically, you know, sometimes I think that uh, the Democratic Party is actually being run by Steve Bannon. And <laughs> uh, you know, that, that they do what they really need to do to lose. And um, and we're seeing that all over the place. Myla Reeson, you had the first hand, yeah, thank
0: you. And and let's not forget about
4: what happened to Nina Turner in Ohio.
1: Yes, exactly. Our, right.
4: Judith, I um I am wondering whether you have a website or an organization or someplace where people can learn about what happened in Nevada and and um, <clears throat> offer some kind of monetary support or, or help you get the word out? Do you have a website? Um, do, do we, we are actually working on that. Um, and I will have something soon that I can share with everybody. Cool. Well, I
1: think you might consider working with John because John's in kind of contact with other Groups around the country and to set up exactly such a website, you know, Democrats, progressive Democrats in exile, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and this is what we tran- we transcended in Georgia in 2020 mm-hmm. and 22. If the progressives um, through and the grassroots campaigners through the Center for Common Ground and the end Atlanta and now Georgia NAACP had not gone out, gotten around the Democratic Party, those two seats definitely would not have been won. And uh, and that's we're looking at the Supreme Court race in uh, in Wisconsin. And I think that's why I, I was actually shocked to get this email from Cory Booker, the very mainstream senator from New Jersey, offering <laughs> to share a donation with the Supreme Court uh, candidate in, uh, in, in Wisconsin. Uh, to me, <laughs> you know, this is this is the mainstream piggybacking on the grassroots, which I'm and that phenomenon. I'm sure you are very, very well aware of. So this should be written up. There should be a website about this going into 24. That's that's what we're about. And we hope you'll stick with us and join us uh, in, in the future as we move ahead here. OK, we Struggle, have, a, Struggle, I
0: have, yeah, I have a quick question for uh, Judith as well. Um Judith, you've advocated for an energized grassroots approach to state Democratic Party leadership, and you proved that such pro- an approach is far more successful than other approaches which have failed catastrophically in other states like Florida and uh, earlier in Virginia. What lessons can we learn and apply based on these totally different types of organizing? Your way of doing it and also, a slogan re- referenced, the Georgia way of using grassroots year-round engagement versus mainly TV ads and you know trying to get people to vote you know a few weeks before the election. What what lessons can we learn and apply?
4: Great question. I think the main lessons we can learn is that there's not one approach fits all. First of all, it's going to have to take a lot of um, strategic effort on the parts of grassroots organizations to look at these things individually to determine where we can make the best approach or how we can make the best approach. Because one state is not going to be the same as any other state. Um, Not only the landscape going to look different, but the the demographics are different across different states. Um, The system, the political system in place is different. I mean, the Florida Democratic Party looks a lot different than the Nevada Democratic Party. So we have to look at where we can approach those things and how we can approach those things. And it's going to take several different um, strategies going forward to have any success. Um, I've had several conversations with Florida progressives. Um, uh, They're near and dear to my heart because I'm originally from the Florida area. So um, I grew up in Florida. So I think that that We can't say one one strategy fits all. We have to look at different strategies. I still feel strongly that there has to be inside and outside work done. Um, It's not gonna be all on the outside or all on the inside. We're gonna have to be pulling and pushing at the same time um, to get any real measure of success. Uh, Progressives are in for a long battle. It's not gonna be anything short term. And I think we also have to get better at looking at the, the long game, the big picture, and how some of these small steps fit into the big picture because we always want to see immediate successes, immediate strategic results, but we have to see how that looks at the long game and what we're really working for in the long game. I mean, is our long game a progressive presidential candidate, a progressive successful presidential candidate? Do we want a real progressive in the White House? Is that our big strategy? Or is our big strategy going to be um, looking at the individual states and seeing where we can make those big wins in, in within those states to set us up for, for a win in 2028? Because it's not going to be 2024. We have to look at, at our 2028 strategy going forward and how we're going to have all that infrastructure in place ahead of 2028. Um, because it really is going to take an absolute Infrastructure, or progressive infrastructure across the nation, to have that kind of success going forward. Thank you. Thank you. This needs to be
1: written up. Uh, it needs to be explained very clearly. This is what our uh, this is our 131st call on on basically just this topic. This is what we're about: protecting the vote and and switching the uh, progressive resources to the grassroots. And uh, your experience is certainly. Uh, exemplary of what can happen here uh, when the when the mainstream Democrats come crashing down uh, on the grassroots, as of course we learned in the two primaries that Bernie ran in. So uh, this is this is critical. Very good. Thank you for that, Justin, Wendy, and Eric. Uh, Justin LeBlanc, please. And we're going to push through. Uh, this, usually we stop with the uh, uh, politics at the uh, and go to the environment. At six o'clock, uh, three o'clock Pacific. But I think we're gonna, we got enough. We're gonna. Put, I hope Bryn, you can stay with us. We got enough to power through here uh, into Florida, where we have had a similar fight uh, at the uh, for control of the Democratic Party. And again, the progressives have gotten crushed, and we wound up now with the with the most um, 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 uh, uh, terrifying politician I've seen in my entire lifetime, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis. So. This is what happens when when the Demo- the mainstream Democrats uh, uh, get rid of the grassroots. Justin, please, then Wendy and Eric.
7: Sure, uh, if any of you guys have worked for a corporate employer, you probably understand this corporate culture idea of the harder you work, the more they make you work. <laughs> <laughs> Judith, I think you're a, a prime example of that. In fact, you're in some ways a victim of your own success because the party sees that and wants to co-opt that rather than support that. And so it's clear that it's not just doing a good job. What's necessary here is also leverage against the party itself. And uh, my favorite statement right now is the solution to tyranny is plurality. And what does that basically mean? That means instead of uh, being in like, say, you know, waiting for, Uh, 100 layers of bureaucracy to get to your specialist doctor uh, going to an association of doctors where you have 100 specialists right there in the room so the idea of a multi-member district is the same kind of thing where instead of having one representative you have five representatives like a city council we should be extending that to statewide races not just cities and counties and uh, that is something that you know the citizens can push themselves we want more representation rather than less. And we're not just going to accept the one champion that you uh, corporate office want to put out because again, they're all about consolidating, monopolizing. We want distribution, kind of like we want distributed energy, right? Okay, so that, that's okay. my thoughts. But thank, thank you, you Justin. very much for your
1: I want to put, put, pose this reality. Uh, the, the Democratic Party had a choice in 2016 between Bernie and Trump. And they definitely preferred Trump. I mean, you know, uh, the mainstream Democratic Party, when 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 confronted with a serious progressive who could have won, uh, uh, preferred. Uh, Julie we- Weiner has joined us. Good, because she'll have a report from the Democratic Party fiasco in uh, New York as well. And uh, the same thing in Wisconsin, when when confronted with an African American progressive like Mandela Barnes, they chose Ron Johnson. And uh, I fear what's going to happen in the race in, uh, you have Jackie um, Rosen, is that that who it is? I think I I met her actually, the Senator, and she's going to have an uphill race and she's not going to have a grassroots Democratic Party to run with. And that, you know, that's that's very serious.
4: You have to realize that they don't think that they need one. They're very arrogant about that. And, you know, the Democratic Party here, and I know everybody's familiar with the term, the Reed machine, well, Senator Harry Reid was an amazing person, but he's not running the machine, it's the consultants running the machine. He's, you know, not only that he's no longer with us, he hasn't run the machine in a while. The machine's being run, has been run by consultants, and those consultants um, pay out a lot of money to bring people into the state to run these campaigns. So there effectively isn't really any grassroots organizing or campaigning within the Democratic Party here anymore. It's right. all being done professionally. They're paying people from outside, bringing them in. You know, they always talk about, oh, they've got all this union support, but they really don't. What they do is they pay the Culinary Union on a, on a national basis. They have a contract with the Culinary Union. The Culinary Union gives time off to their employees to come to Nevada and they get double paid. They get paid for their job and they get paid by um, the coordinated campaign to do canvassing and stuff. They always pretend that they're, that they're volunteers or they're grassroots organizers. And they're not, they're paid to do these jobs. So they have these, these kind of deep roots and these, these deep, deep, deep pockets with all this dark money to bring people in. They don't really care about grassroots organizing anymore. They haven't for a long time.
1: Right. They they fear grassroots organizing. Yes, they do. In fact, they oppose grassroots organizing. So that's what we're about here at at these group calls. I want to say, uh, um, my listeners at progressive radio network prn.live uh, this is about the end of our hour um, with this con- obviously this conversation is going to continue you can hear that it's being recorded you can hear the rest of it at uh, grassrootsep.org or electionprotection2024.org we we are recording uh, and it will and it is posted there online the whole uh, Megillah. so you if you are Signing off from PRN right now um, uh, on our Thursday hour and you want to hear the rest of it, join us at uh, electionprotection2024.org. Wendy and then Eric and Julie uh, uh, Weiner, I want to invite you, uh, I, I welcome you. We're talking about uh, how the Nevada Democratic Party purged its progressive leadership and um, uh, the same thing, I believe, has just happened in New York. Uh, Eric, I'm uh, rather, um, Wendy and then Eric.
2: Thank you. Thanks for being with us, Judith. Thanks for being back with us. Um, we enjoyed having you both times. Um, just a, a couple of quick points. And, um, so one, I think it's uh, kind of amazing that what Hillary was busted for with Bernie, like undermining completely, um, is what's the common culture now. Um, I'm here in Florida as well. I do not know you are from here. That's great. Um, I volunteered with the DNC. You had to volunteer through the DNC if you wanted to oversee or help um, with the curing and the recount and the DeSantis race when he ran against Gillum and Rick Scott was elected. And I watched the DNC, like, fumble it so poorly that, I mean, it was just, there was no recount. There was no curing. It was, um, they, they I, I just, I lost all faith in it. Um, what I wanted to say is, um, we have a mutual friend in Carolina Impudia. Who um, just yeah she she wanted to be with us today she's become kind of a regular but we we go back a few years we're really good friends I'm from Broward um so I guess it's like speaking for her um just uh, maybe get in contact with her because you know what just happened she just ran for the Dem chair after stepping down as the progressive head and she does a phenomenal job but she's been doing a lot of organizing and it would be great to have us kind of you know like what John Steiner mentioned but to get that. You know, to, like, because now, like, in Florida, I'm seeing all the Democrats, like, they're just getting behind Nikki Freed, who, as well, like, when she ran for governor, she she attacked Charlie Crist more than she did DeSantis, yeah. and people think that they can trust her, and we need to have a viable alternative, a strong foundation in something progressive, like you're saying with the, um, the nonpartisan or the independent voters, I think they care more than, I don't want to say more than, but possibly more than, regular people because they're the ones paying attention like they're independent because they actually care about the issues and aren't just going to play you know ego team and their side so anyway reach out to carolina or um hey. and maybe we can all near this fight thank you so much
1: thank you thank you wendy we're, and we're going to carry on with a discussion in florida um eric lazarus here in new york and um julie weiner i believe i read somewhere that after b- completely blowing the congressional elections in, for, in New York, the Democratic Party has proceeded to purge uh, the progressives there. Maybe I'm wrong. Eric Lazarus, do you have a comment on that? You're also in New York.
5: Hey, um, I, I feel like I feel a little embarrassed. I feel like I should have a really good answer to this question myself,
1: but I don't. Um,
5: Judy, under what circumstances would you recommend to people in a position like the one you were in? to run a parallel progressive democratic organization, club, whatever the right term is, and to do a lot of get out the vote, voter registration, um, funding and stuff in an organization that's harder for um, for uh, corporate Democrats to take over because it's the board of directors of it would be all progressive people. Does that make any sense? Under what circumstances would it? I'm Eric, thanks so much.
4: Well, Eric, that makes absolute sense. It's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the things that we've been talking about a lot here in Nevada is running like an umbrella campaign team, uh, um, like an umbrella campaign team where we build our own infrastructure for our down-ballot candidates that are progressive um, and run it in parallel to the Democratic Party because we know the Democratic Party will not support those candidates and so they're going to do everything they can um, to make sure that that progressives or that even even candidates that come um, from the grassroots that are coming uh, organically from their communities that want to represent their communities, especially like the black and Hispanic communities here or the AAPI communities here that want to really truly represent their communities, but they're not given that opportunity because they can't afford to pay the Democratic Party hundred thousand dollars for van access, or or you know access to the to the voter files, um, and what we did as a state party is was we did away with that. We gave them in kind van services for you know, um, and, and just reported as an in kind donation to their campaigns. We made sure that every single down ballot candidate had access to the tools and resources they needed. So we're going to have to continue that in some way or find a way to continue that work so that those candidates can be successful and have a platform to run on. Um, and that's going to require that we build our own infrastructure. Um, but the good news is that we have experience building that infrastructure now through the Democratic Party. We know um, what they're going to do, what they're, how they're going to obstruct us. We know um, all of everything we need to know about compliance reporting and all of those things that go into running those operations so we can successfully run a parallel organization, and I think that we will be looking at that quite seriously.
1: So I think what you might consider, Judith, is mm-hmm. to look at the book that was compiled on the Georgia miracle, and be in touch with Andrea and uh, and Ray McClendon, and maybe we can come up with a um, a blended guidebook going forward uh, for the twenty four election, so that we can so that nobody is blindsided after all these years by the corporate democrats and we can get around them and elect some decent people uh and not not wind up with ron johnson for god's mm. sakes in, in, as the senator from wisconsin i mean it just i can, I can barely and this idiot from uh, ohio jd Vance. there's no reason you know john and i talked to the people from uh, ryan's campaign and 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 tried to get them to do grassroots organizing and you know Nothing. Uh, John, go ahead.
6: Uh, I just wanted to add one thing, Judith and Harvey. I don't know if you guys saw this, and I think he's an ally with us on this, but I'm not quite sure how, namely Michael Moore. Yeah, yeah. Michael Michael did a 12-part short series over the Christmas holidays he called uh, Blue Dots in a Red Sea, and he really called on his people to essentially do this parallel kind of organizing. And I don't know what's on his website, Harvey. I don't know if you can get him on, but he basically is saying much the same thing and giving ordinary citizens a tool book on how to organize.
0: Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, We got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.